All right, John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 16. Start at verse 16 and read through verse 26. The Bible says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye shall see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in the, my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken to you, being pres yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I titled the message this morning simply, The Purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Purpose of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to assemble together and to open your precious word. We thank you that we, with the promise of your, that you have preserved your words for us, and that, Father, we can read and study, that we might show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. So, Father, I pray as we look into your words this morning that we would be strengthened and challenged and encouraged and drawn into a closer walk with thee and a better understanding of your precious Holy Spirit that lives and dwells us uh, to teach us and instruct us and to convict us when conviction is needed. So, Lord, just, just work. Glorify yourself. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this is one of those doctrines that is misunderstood by many. Uh, of course, a doctrine is simply a teaching of the Bible. And that has to do with the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, of course, the Charismatic and the Pentecostals, you know, the Charismatics are really a carry-on of the Pentecostals. Uh, Pentecostals go back all the way to early 1900s or some maybe earlier than that when when the first major movement started. And, of course, they started teaching that, that uh, sign gifts and tongues were for today and, and, and that tongues were a, some misunderstood lang language or an angelic language or a heavenly language that, you know, there, there is an understanding for. But, but, you know, if you really, if you read about tongues in its context... It's uh, so like a fellow asked me here some time ago, you know, how do you take the book of Acts? Do you take it literally? Of course we take it literally. Tongues are a language. You know, that's what they are. It's a language. It's a, a tongue in the Bible. Tongues in the Bible are a known, understood language. Uh, every man heard them in his own tongue. 
I mean, and of course, we understand verse Corinthians 13, and this is part of our doctrinal statement, that we believe that tongues cease with the completion of Scripture, as did the sign gifts. They were given as signs to confirm the word uh, to those, those early disciples, and particularly to the Jews, but with the completion of Scripture, they have passed away. And so, you know, you know, a lot of people think the filling of the Spirit, some, the Charismatics and some Pentecostals believe that, you know, to be filled with Spirit, you have to speak in tongues. The Bible teaches no such thing. Um, that's a misunder, mis, misunderstood, misunderstanding of the Scriptures. But this morning, but the, the, but the Holy Spirit is a very important part of our lives as Christians. We don't often speak of him, and sometimes I think we, 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 we shy away from speaking about the Holy Spirit because of the extremes that um, other people take. But he is a very important part of the Christian life. In fact, the Bible says that he is in you. And uh, so uh, he's the one that gives us life. He's the regenerator of life. We are born again by the Spirit of God. But I want to notice first three or four things. First of all, the person of the Spirit. Secondly, the presence of the Spirit. And then the practice of the Spirit. And then also the purpose of the Spirit. So the person of the Spirit. In verse 16, the Lord Jesus is before speaking to the disciples before he left and before he was crucified. And he said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. That he may abide with you. Forever. The word another here means of the same kind. In other words, I'm going to give you another in my place of the same kind. We would say he's in the same category as the Lord Jesus Christ or as God the Father. He's of the same kind. He's another of the same kind. He is the Spirit of God. For he is God. We refer to him often as the third person of the Trinity. Again, in Genesis 1.26, And God said, Let us make man in our, like, in our image, after our likeness. And again, the word us there refers to God as, it's in the plural form, it's one God, but in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit. Of course, you know, uh, verse 2 says that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. First uh, John 5, verse 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So he is a part of the Godhead. What we call refer to as Godhead. One God, but manifested to us in three persons. So he has all the characteristics of, the, 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 the qualities of holiness, righteousness, and, and, and you know, immutability. You know, he does not change. Uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And all the, the attributes of God that God has. Because he is God. He's all-knowing. He's all everywhere present. And he has all power. Because he is God. He is also a person. Some teach that he's just a force, an impersonal force. But again, notice in our 
our text in verses 16 and 17, he says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So he's referred to as a he. He's referred to as a him. He is a person. And he has the characteristics of, the, of God and of a person. Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So he can be grieved. Can you be grieved? Oh, yes. He can be grieved. I made sorrowful. And, and, of course, the context there is he is grieved when we sin against him. And it, it talks about putting away all wrath and malice and clamor and evil speaking. These things you need to put away from you with, and, and, and put on kindness. So those things grieve him. They sorrow him. Uh, he, he, he can also be quenched. First Thessalonians 5.19 says, quench not the spirit. And so he can, the word quench there means he, be, he can be suppressed or, or, you know, or, or uh, uh, pushed aside, you might say. Uh, and so, you know, just like a person, he can be, he, you know, we, we can do that with people, other people. And so, so he is a person, but he is also the spirit of truth. Notice verse 17 says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. He's called here the spirit of truth. And he's referred to that in several other places. In verses, chapter 15, verse 16, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And then again in chapter 16, verse 13, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. See, he is the Spirit of God. He, always, he is the Spirit of truth. He always speaks the truth. He always convinces of truth. He always directs in truth. He never directs his children contrary to the truth. Of the word of God. You know, you know, John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And the Spirit of God is the sanctifying agent or person in our life. And he sanctifies us through the truth. You know, God will never lead you the Spirit of God will never lead you in any way contrary to the Word of God. I think I've used this illustration before. The one fellow I used to work with, I said, uh, I said so where would you go to church today, Bill? He said, I didn't. The Spirit led me just to stay home. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. I said, well, you know, I have a problem with that. I said, Hebrews 10.25 says, Not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And I said, the Spirit of God never leads contrary to the Word of God. He is the Spirit of truth. Oh, is that right? I said, yeah, I'm afraid so. I said, you may have been led of a spirit, but it wasn't the Holy One. 
See, God, God's Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He always leads us into the truth. 1 John 2.27 says this, But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. It's talking about the Spirit of God there. You need not that any man teach you, but the same anointing teacheth you all things, and is truth, and is no lie. Even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. He is the Spirit of truth. So he, we see here the person of the Spirit of God. He's of the same kind. He is God. He's the Spirit of God. He is a person, and He always leads, and He is the Spirit of truth. Secondly, I want you to notice the presence of the Spirit in verse 16 through 18 of our text. Again, He says, And I will pray the Father, He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. I want you to notice that word abide. And then verse 17 says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know him, for he, and here's another word, dwelleth, means the same as abide, dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Uh, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come unto you. And then again, verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So, the first thing we notice here about the presence of the Spirit of God, He is going to abide or dwelleth in us or with us. Now, those two words mean the same thing, and it means it's equivalent to to not depart, not to leave, to continue to be present, to maintain unbroken fellowship with one, to be constantly present to help one. So when he says the Spirit of God is going to abide, he's going to constantly dwell in your life. He's going to be a constant presence in your life. A constant presence. Now he can be grieved. He can be quenched. But he's never going to leave you. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior. He's never going to leave you. Uh... <clears throat> Excuse me. And and you notice he says in verse sixteen, the end of that verse says that he may abide with you forever. Now in Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter one, and verses thirteen and fourteen, Ephesians one thirteen fourteen, the Bible says, "In whom also you trusted." After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after, also after that you, were, you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the per, to the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So we were sealed. Chapter 4, verse 30 says, again, verse says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. The idea of sealed here is to mark or it's an identifiable mark of who are his. Remember Revelation chapter 7, we read about the 12,000 from each tribe of the children of Israel, and God sealed them. He put a mark on the forehead. It was an identifying mark that these belonged to God, and they were not to touch them. You see, the Spirit of God is our identifying mark. That we belong to God. We belong to God. 
And it says here, we're sealed until the day of the purchase, until the redemption of the purchased possession. That's referring to when we are delivered up to God in heaven. So we're sealed until we are delivered up to our Heavenly Father. So it's an identifying mark. This, this, this speaks again of constant presence in our life. Unbroken presence. Romans 8 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is not of you. Again, the Spirit of God dwells in us. He abides in us. When, from the time we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, He indwells or He abides in us and will remain there forever until He delivers us up to the Father in the presence of our Father. Uh, he's also our constant companion. Notice in verse 17, chapter, chapter uh, 16. John chapter 16, verse 17, or John 14, verse 17 says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be with you. I will not leave you comfortless. So he is our constant companion. He shall be in you. You know, 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost with you all. Amen. The word communion here speaks of fellowship or association, the share with one which one has in anything or participation. Now, in chapter 8 of Romans, in verse 26 and 27, we see this participation or this communion brought out it says likewise Romans 8:26 likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered and he that searcheth the hearts in other words the spirit of god that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So that Spirit of God, who is in constant communion with us, knows the mind and the heart. He knows your mind and your heart. Because he's in constant communion. He's a participant in every part of your life. I mean, if he, think about it, if he dwells in you forever, he goes wherever you go. He's a constant companion. He, notice he says in, in, in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. That word comfortless is orphanous. In Greek, what's that sound like in English? Orphan. The Spirit of God will never leave you as an orphan. He'll never forsake you. He won't leave you fatherless. The definition here of comfortless is of those bereft of a teacher, guide, or guardian. You see, 
He is your constant, He desires to be your constant companion and guide to share in your joys and help in your sorrows. He's also grieved by her by her sin because He constantly is aware of when we sin against Him because He's there. You know, the Holy Spirit who abides in us sees everything we look at. He knows every thought we think. He hears every word we hear. He knows the feelings and the motives of our heart. He knows everything. As God's children, he is our constant companion. He participates. And in so, he knows our joys and our sorrows. He knows our sin. And he knows our victories. And he rejoices. He's grieved by our sin, but rejoices in our victories. And so we have the presence of the Spirit of God. He is with us. Forever. Now I'm watching this third thing, the practice of the Spirit. The practice of the Spirit. First of all, he's called the comforter. The word comforter means a helper. And an old English word that describes it is succorer. It means to aid. So he's a, a helper or an aider or an assistant. Uh, so of the Holy Spirit destined to take the place of Christ with the apostles after his ascension to the Father to lead them to a deeper knowledge of the gospel truth, to give them divine strength needed to enable them to undergo trials and persecutions on behalf of the kingdom of God. That's really the definition of the, the word comforter. So he's a helper, he's an aider, he's an assistant in every as- aspect of our lives. So to put that in plain English, first of all, he's a divine teacher. He's a divine teacher. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verses 13 and 14, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 13 and 14, says, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, notice, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So, you know, basically what these two verses are teaching is that the Spirit of God teaches us things concerning God. He searches them out for us and gives us understanding into those things. The natural man cannot receive them. So we that are born again have a divine teacher, one who aids us. He teaches us. In 1 John 2.20, the Bible says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. The word unction there, it says, is, is, is defined as, used of the gift of the Holy Spirit as the efficient aid in getting a knowledge of the truth. So the Spirit of God is the is the one that aids us. He's an efficient aid in getting us understanding into the truth of the Word of God. 
Why? Because the Word of God is spiritually discerned. 1 John 2.27, again, But the anointing, same word, which ye have received of him abideth, there's a word abideth, or dwelleth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, shall abide in him. And the word teacheth here means to teach one, to impart instruction, to instill doctrine into one. So the Spirit of God, as we read the Word of God, the Spirit of God gives us understanding and teaches us the truths concerning the Word of God. He's the one that gives us understanding. You remember what Jesus asked the disciples in Matthew chapter 16? Whom do you say that I am? And of course, you know, at first he asked, you know, who do people say that I am? And, and they, they answered, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elias, and some say a prophet. And then he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus returned that statement with this statement, flesh and blood hath not revealed that unto thee, but my father which is in heaven. You see, that, that understanding Peter had of who Jesus was, was given to him by God. Not by his natural understanding, but by God. And you see, for us to understand the Word of God, we need the Spirit of God to teach us. And there has to be a willingness to receive that truth. And the disciples were willing. The reason the disciples understood it is, all of them except one, is that they understood it was because they were willing to receive it. The reason the Pharisees did not understand it is because they were not willing to receive it. John 7, 17 says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. So if there's a willingness to do Hebrews eleven six says, And he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is reward of them that diligently seek him. So it is the Spirit of God. He is our divine teacher. He gives us understanding in his word. He's also, secondly, a divine helper. And this aspect is, refers to one who strengthens. And as I've said, the word comforter has the idea of, of aider, helper, aider, assistant. You know, so give us understanding into the gospel truth, but also give us strength needed uh, in times of trials and afflictions. So in that aspect, he is a divine helper. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, And ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. Now, to whom that is being said is the people, or the disciples, who just a little while before, 40 days earlier, had for completely forsaken the Lord. And they all ran away. Like cowards. Now, we could point fingers and say, I wouldn't, but you would have. We would have. We'd all ran away. We'd have fled and forsook him. But now he's saying, ye shall receive power so that ye might be witnesses. And that word witness is martus. Martus, where we get our word martyr. 
You're going to be witnesses willing to die. That's what he's saying. You're going to be witnesses that have so much power in believing what you've witnessed and what you've heard and what the Spirit of God has taught you that you're going to be willing to die for it. Because you're going to have this helper, this one who strengthens you. I mean that same man who denied him three times just 40 days earlier and 50 days later stands before the crowd that crucified Jesus, whom you have slain and crucified. Him hath the Lord, the Father exalted at his right hand. See, Romans 8.11 says this, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken. That quicken means to make alive. Quicken your mortal bodies. You know, all of a sudden, Peter had power and authority like he didn't know. I mean, he came alive. He wasn't afraid to stand before all those Jewish people and say, whom you have crucified and slain. The same is the Lord and Christ. Speaking of the Spirit of God, Ephesians 2.1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead and trespassed. See, this Spirit of God can take a soul that's dead spiritually and give them life. Save them. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And so he is a divine helper. And if you look in the book of Acts, you see examples of this. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, in verse 21, you know that Peter and John had been preaching, and so they've been arrested, and they've taken before the Sanhedrin, and they've been condemned for their preaching and 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 their and their in verse 21 it says and so when they had threat further threatened them they let them go finding nothing how they might punish them because the people of the people for all men glorified God for that which was done and so they they've been threatened to not speak of this anymore and they go back to their company in verse 29 it says and says not and they, so they're praying to the Lord and it says and now Lord behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by thy name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place is shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Verse 33 says, And with great power gave the apostles witness, and there's our word martyrs again, witness, of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So the Spirit of God gave them strength and power. You know really what it was? They had no fear. They did not fear for their own lives. See, what was it that made them all run away? At the cross. They feared for their own lives. But now their own life is not important. What is important 
is spiritual. What is important now is the kingdom of God. What is important now that we witness to the truth? My life is not important anymore. So they had no fear. And so the Spirit of God, the practice of the Spirit is He's our comforter. He's the one that teaches us. He's the one that helps us, that strengthens us. Then we'll notice, fourthly, the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in our text in John 14, in verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And then go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 9, I think Paul sums this up as well as we can put it in a nice little neat package so you can understand and take it home. Paul, Paul said here in Romans 8 9, For ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. live. For as many as are, and here's the key word, led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So he says if the spirit of Christ that's quicken, will quicken your mortal bodies... And you don't live after the flesh, but if you are led by the Spirit, said they are the sons of God. The word led means to move, to impel. Of forces and influences affecting the mind. Again, at the cross, they were all feared for their lives. You know know why they feared for their lives? Because they didn't really believe what Jesus had told them. He had told them exactly what was going to happen. He told them, I'm going to be crucified, but in three days, in three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. He already told them that. In fact, the Bible one place says, says, Yet they believed not his word. They remembered not that he had said. He had told them. And so they feared for their lives. But here, they have an influence. They have the Spirit of God that's moving them and affecting affecting their mind. So it's changed their way of thinking. Uh. In Galatians 5.18, said, Paul said, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're led of the Spirit, of course, if you have the Spirit of God, that means you're saved. You're not under the condemnation of the law. In Luke 4.1, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He, and the word fool there means be thoroughly permeated with. Thoroughly ther- permeated with. Ephesians 5.18, and says, Be not drunk with wine when it's excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Again, it means to be to diffuse throughout one's soul, or again, to be thoroughly permeated with. See, God's the purpose of the Spirit of God is to fill you and to lead you. That's His purpose. He leads you into all truth. He will guide you in, in the, your footsteps throughout life. He will give you strength to fulfill or obey what the Lord, the Spirit, teaches you. You see, He will thoroughly permeate. His desire is to thoroughly permeate your life that you will live and walk in obedience to Him and contrary to the world. Now, this isn't anything new. That's what Noah did. That's what Noah did. Noah, by his life and by his testimony, his preaching, condemned the world. Peter tells us that. By the way, he condemned the world. Hebrews, I think it tells us that. See, he, he, by the power of God, testified at the risk of his own life. I mean, can you, be, can you imagine? You would be the only one that would be out there preaching the truth. You know, the world would probably say, let's just get rid of that fool. Or maybe they would say, well, you know, he's just the only one who cares. You know, let them talk. Not likely. You know, Stephen, by his life and by his testimony, condemned the world. As I mentioned in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the word witness is martas. Where we get a word martyr. It means to be a witness for one, to serve him by testimony, who after his example have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. Do you ever think about it? That's what baptism pictures. Death to self. Revelation 2.13 It says, I know thy works where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name. Hast thou not denied my faith, even those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. In Revelation 6, 9, it says, When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. In Revelation 2, 10, he says, Fear none of these things that thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. But be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. Now, I was thinking about that the other day, and I thought, you know, you don't have to die to be faithful unto death. If you have died to self, I believe you will be faithful unto death. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 10, 15, 31. I die daily. You know, why are you and I afraid to speak of Christ? Because really, 
has struggled with dying to self. Why do we get offended? We haven't died to self. Yeah, Jay Brennan was a missionary along the Amazon River in Brazil. One day he heard powerboats racing up the river. He knew it was government. They pulled up in front of his place, leaped out of the boats with their submachine guns aimed at him, and he thought, he said, that moment I thought, Lord, I'm coming home. He said, I learned that day, it's easier to die for the Lord than it is to live for him. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Your living, living for the Lord requires daily dying. This world's full of hardships. The work of the ministry is difficult. I'm not talking about my work here when I say the work of the ministry. The Bible describes the work of the ministry as the work of the church. And the work of the ministry is to be a witness. And that requires that we die to ourselves. And we condemn the world. In Micah 3.8, Micah says, but, I, but truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. When you go out there and witness in the world, and if you're going to be true to the word of God, you're going to have to show them their sin. How does that always go down? Yeah, there'll be sometimes people will yeah, agree with you, but there'll be other times it won't be nice. Luke one seventeen, speaking of John the Baptist, says, He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know, Paul said in Romans 15, 19, Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. What did Paul do? How did Paul uh, uh, endure all those things he endured? He endured it by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem round about unto Lycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. He said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. You know, if you're going to give a true gospel, you're not going to sneak up on them with Jesus. You're not going to win them with gimmicks. There's nothing attractive about the gospel. Shedding of blood is not attractive. Denying self is not attractive. Surrendering a person's own will is not attractive by the world. But if you're going to give somebody the truth, they're going to have to come to that understanding to receive the truth. And see, the purpose of the Spirit is to fill us and to empower us to live, God, to, live to please God and testify of Him 
willing to die for him, for it is through us and our being thoroughly permeated with him that he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Look at John chapter 16. John chapter 16. John 16, verses 7 and 8. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. If I go, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He said, I'm going to send him to you, and then I'm going to send you into the world. Who was the instrument of those Jews being convicted in Acts chapter 3 that they had crucified the Lord Jesus Christ? It was Peter. Who was the instrument of convicting Saul of Tarsus? That Jesus was the Christ. It was Stephen. But it cost Stephen his life. It cost Stephen his life. It was through Peter's testimony and preaching, Cornelius, the Gentile, the Gentile dog, was convinced of Christ. But Peter, to do it, had to deny his own understanding of the law of God and be willing to face the criticism of the Jews back in Jerusalem. It was through Paul and Silas and their testimonies that the Philippian jailer was saved. But it cost them physical suffering and pain. What am I saying? You see, it cost them denying themselves, being willing to deny, being willing to be a martyr. It may not cost us physical suffering and pain or even death to be witnesses in our day and time here in America. We may not too distant future come to that. But it does require, it still does require a denial of or death to self. The world is still at enmity against God. And to rightly witness to him is to condemn the world and show it wrong or show it contrary to God. That means you're going to have to face the opportunity of opposition. To you. You know what? But that's why God gave us His Spirit to give us the strength. Because this human nature, this, this human being, doesn't like people becoming angry or opposing what this human being has to say. Maybe there are some people who just like to make people mad. But I'm not one of them. 
I've been accused of that. That's not so. I really do like people like me. But you know, God's given us his spirit to empower us, to strengthen us. That we might be thoroughly permeated. But you know, for him to do that, we have to allow it. We have to be led. Paul said, if ye be led of the Spirit. You and I can quench the Spirit. We can grieve him. But his purpose is to empower us. To give us understanding. And to help us be an effective witness. Is the Spirit of God empowering you? See, the question is, are you yielding to him? Have you submitted to him? Are you allowing him to have his way in your life? That he might empower you. Again, God will not force you. The Holy Spirit will not take over without your consent. You have a free will. And you must exercise it to allow him to lead in your life. Another comforter. God will not leave us an orphan. He's given one as our constant companion. Do you know him?